0: Please open your Bibles to Matthew 28, Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. If you're using one of the Bibles that you'll find in the seat in front of you, it would be page 1062. <clears throat> this text is commonly known as the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 16 through, to, through 20. Sorry. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Almighty Father, we praise you and thank you for your word. We pray that you would open the eyes of our heart, that we might gain a greater understanding of who you are and what you require of us. Please bless this preaching and teaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Brothers and sisters, you and I were made to do two things. God made you and I to worship and to witness. He made us to worship, to praise him, to know him, to thank him. And he made us to witness, to point others to him as we ourselves follow him. The problem is that if we're honest with ourselves, we recognize that we don't really worship and witness as we should. We take our eyes off of our Lord. And if our eyes are off of our Lord, we're not going to worship and and witness as we should. Because it's all about him. We are like Peter in Matthew 14. Who got out of the boat. Jesus called him and he had his eyes on Jesus. And he was walking on water. Until... He got distracted by the things around him. He took his eyes off of the Lord, and he began to sink. Likewise, we have faith in Jesus Christ, but our walk isn't what it's supposed to be. We feel like we're half floundering. We're not walking in worship and witness as we should. Our eyes are not fully locked onto our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have a strong faith. Sometimes we doubt. And we are not the only ones. There were people who have done that before us. As a matter of fact, if we look here in our text, verse 16, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountains to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. Who's worshipping Jesus? The disciples. And if our text ended there, it would be wonderful, wouldn't it? But it doesn't. It says... But some doubted. Who doubted? The disciples. How can this be? We may think, well, wait a minute. Are we saying that they have no faith? That's not it. It's not that we're talking about no faith. We're talking about people who have faith in Jesus as their Savior. But they're doubting. As a matter of fact, this word doubt only appears one other place in Scripture. Matthew 14 and Peter's walk on water fail. Jesus had to save Peter and he pulls him back into the boat and he tells him, oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? Now, notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, Peter, you have no faith. We need to start from square one. No, he's saying, Peter. He had faith. It's just not very much. Although, I wonder what, you know, we don't have everything that was ever said. What did Jesus say to the other disciples who never even got out of the boat? Peter had faith in Jesus. He got out of the boat, he started to walk on water, but he became overwhelmed by the things that were going on around him. He took his eyes off of our Lord. We struggle in our walk of worship and witness because we become overwhelmed with the waves of sin and self that crash down upon us. It distracts us. It takes our eyes off of our Lord. As a result, our worship ends up lukewarm. And witness, well, for many of us, we think witness, that's for others. Don't leave that to me. But we are called to worship and witness. And so our Lord, he doesn't just leave these disciples and he doesn't just leave us. He lovingly and with great care draws their eyes back to him. The source of their faith that they may see him, that we may see him, that we might worship And witness with walking on water faith. What does the Lord show us? He shows us a king who reigns over his disciples. Because Jesus is the risen king who reigns over his disciples. We should live lives of worship and witness. In verse 18 we read. And when they saw him they worshiped. That's verse 18. 17, verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, in the first century, who were the ones that had authority? I mean, maximum authority? It was kings, kings. And Matthew, in this gospel, he wants to make it clear that Jesus is the long-awaited king. He's the king that everybody's been waiting for. He is the king from the royal line of David. He's the king that the Magi worshipped. He is the, the king that Herod wanted to kill. He's the king who died on the cross. What was written above his head? King of the Jews. And now he is the risen king, the one who has authority over all things in heaven And on earth. And this sovereign king wants to reassure his doubting disciples. That he's not just this authoritative king, but he's their king. This is very important. You know, when you're around somebody who's powerful, it can be scary. It can be intimidating. Jesus has authority over heaven and earth. Is he their enemy or is he their friend? Jesus reassures them. He says what our text says in verse 18, and Jesus came. He came to them and he speaks to them and he gives them a job to do. He's going to give them work to do as his workers. He's going to tell them that he's always going to be with them. So here we have this powerful all authoritative king reigning over heaven and earth. And he's telling his disciples, don't worry, I'm not your enemy. There's union between us. This is reason to worship and to witness because of who our king is. To understand the very personal application of this to our lives, consider King David in 2 Samuel 8 two. In 2 Samuel 8, two, King David defeated the Moabites. And then he does something that sounds unbelievably cruel. He has the Moabites lie down, and he measures them off, and every two-thirds he has executed, and one-third he has saved, that they might follow him, that they might serve him. And I know you you're right now you're thinking, what does this have to do with Jesus reigning as my king? But David... Had power of life and death over these people. They were enemies of the king and they were enemies of his kingdom. And that particular type of execution was reserved for enemies who had committed grievous crimes and who were continuously rebellious. David had the right to execute every single one of them, they were all guilty. They had all earned the death sentence. One third he saved by grace that they might serve him. And in the same way, with each and every one of our sins, as we continue to sin, our sins are grievous against the Lord. It's continual rebellious against him. Every single one of us has deserved the eternal death sentence. Every one of us deserves to be put to death forever and ever. But our gracious Lord, he saves those who look to him in faith. But David, you know, he has them serve him. Our Lord does more than that. He picks us up by the hand and he makes us part of the family of God. He calls his brother and says, follow me. We have reason to worship and witness before our Lord. We worship because of his grace. We're not getting what we deserve. He shows grace to us. He shows mercy to us. And we witness. Why? Because we want others to know of our reigning king. That one day they will have to give account of their lives. We warn them of what is to come. We're greatly encouraged to live lives of worship and witness because our king reigns over us with love. But that's not the only reason we overcome doubt and live lives of worship and witness. Every king has his kingdom. And our king has kingdom work that he gives to us. Because Jesus is the risen king who commissions us, we should live lives of worship and witness. In verse 19, we read, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Not as only does the king show that he has great unity with his people, but then he shows them how much he values them by giving them kingdom responsibilities. He's giving them a job to represent him and to help bring others into this kingdom. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul says, we are therefore Christ's. Ambassadors, what should we know about this commission, this responsibility that we receive? Well, there's a few things. First, we need to understand that the focus of our commission is upon making disciples of Jesus Christ. It's upon making disciples. This term making disciples is very it's very clear in the Greek that this is the main command. You know, there's a lot of verbs here. Make disciples, go, baptize, teach. But the heart of this is making disciples. How do we do that? By going to those who do not know the Lord. By baptizing, giving them the sign and seal that they are part of the family of God. By teaching that they might learn how to live. As children of God. The the focus is long term. It's not just once sharing the gospel. It may be that that's all the Lord, that's the only opportunity the Lord gives us with someone. But our goal should always be, our focus should always be long term. We want to make disciples. Long term disciples who follow Jesus. Second, we need to understand that the scope of our commission is international, both near and far. Now, the Jews, when they received this commission, when the disciples received this commission, they were Jews. They grew up with with scripture. And excuse the way this sounds, but, I mean, they thought we're saved and the rest of the world can go to hell, literally. They could care less They felt like they were it and nobody else. Jesus fulfilling what had been promised to Abraham that his seed would be a blessing to the nations tells the disciples, go make disciples of all nations. That includes the Jews. Now it's Jews and Gentiles. For us, this has a very important application for those that are american citizens it means americans we we have a, a obligation to reach out to people around us who are americans and the nations to others as well and here at upc rouse road we've got lots of opportunities to do both The Hispanic population in Orlando is 25%, but in this area, it's almost 30. Yet in this church, there's roughly like 5%, 5% Hispanic. How come we're not reflecting the community around us? Maybe we're not reaching our neighbors as we should. We are called to worship and witness. We have this commission to reach our neighbors. Now, some people have said, well, we'll let that be taken care of by Hispanic church. And I would say, there's a place for that. But, you know, think about the church in Antioch. Think about the churches in the first century. Did you have Jewish churches and Gentile churches? No. You had the people together worshiping Jew and Gentile, people from all nations, worshiping together. Now, granted, they had a common language. Most everybody spoke Greek, and that made it real easy for them. But what's interesting in this area, around UPC Rouse Road, is that so many, so many people in the Hispanic community speak English. I'm talking like 70% maybe 80. You probably have neighbors that you talk to or could talk to if you would get out there and talk to them who not only speak Spanish but also speak English. We have a responsibility to reach the nations near and also far. We don't want to forget our missionaries We want to encourage short-term missions. We want to be lifting up in prayer those who are going out from our midst and reaching people from other places in Asia and Africa and Latin America, wherever it might be. We want to provide finances for them. We want to be able to care for them when they're home on furlough. There are so many ways we can be involved. What we need to understand is that this commission is for the nations, both near and far. We also need to understand that the responsibility of our commission is personal. Our king has given this responsibility to the church in general, but also specifically to each and every one of us. Now, for some years, people thought, this commission is just for the apostles, and we don't have to worry about it. Others have thought, well, this is just for church leaders, pastors, and missionaries. Well, we find an interesting thing in Acts 8, if you want to flip over there. This isn't just for the apostles, it's for everybody in the church. In, in chapter 8, Acts 8, beginning in verse 1, we read, And Paul approved of his, Stephen's, execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Okay, so there's this persecution. The church in Jerusalem scatters to different places. Men and women, except who? The apostles. The apostles are still in Jerusalem, right? Now look what happens in verse 4. Now those who were scattered... Who are we not talking about? Not the apostles. We're talking about other men and women in the church. Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. They understood the application of the Great Commission for them. And we find the same thing in chapter 11, where it was the people who went out to Antioch and began to speak to Jews. And Gentiles. It was people like you and I. Who talked to other people. And laid the foundation. For the church in Antioch. Which would eventually send out missionaries. Throughout Asia. And Europe. We have. A very. Personal. Responsibility. To. Reach out. Our Lord has given each one of us this commission. We are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. When someone receives a commission today, for example, if you if you um, are in the Army and you're an officer, you receive a commission from the President of the United States to be an officer in the United States Army or Navy, Air Force, Marines. It's an honor. There's respect that comes with it. There's an honor involved. But there's also work to do. When someone becomes an ambassador, they are commissioned as ambassador by the president of that country. It's an honor. But there's also work to do. Likewise, our king has commissioned me and you. To be his ambassadors, he has given us a very personal responsibility. We have this responsibility to reach out to the nations, near and far. We have this responsibility to make disciples for Jesus Christ. This is reason to worship. He values you so much that he would give you this very special responsibility and honor to be commissioned as his ambassador. Jesus shows his his disciples that he reigns over them. He commissions them as ambassadors. He gives them this great work to do. And then there's something that he doesn't do. He doesn't give them this great work to do and then kind of walk off and look over his shoulder and say, good luck with that. That would be reason to doubt. You know, you don't want to get this big responsibility and then have the person who gave it to you walk off. He encourages them by telling them that he remains. He's the king that remains with them. Because Jesus is the risen king who remains with his disciples, we should live lives of worship and witness. In the second part of verse 20 in our text, we read, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Matthew highlights our union with God beginning his gospel in chapter 1, talking about Jesus, saying, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then he finishes the gospel with Jesus, the God-man king, saying, I am with you always to the end of the age. Of course, we worship and witness our God and King is with us. He is encouraging his disciples that they would not doubt. Now what we need to remember is that our King is not with us physically. We don't see him in front of us. But we are a people who live by faith and not by sight. We are a people Who recognize that Jesus is with us. Even though we can't physically see him. We recognize that he is with us by faith. He is with his people. Just like God was with Gideon. You remember the story of Gideon? God told Gideon. Gideon. Go kick the Midianites out of Israel. I am with you. And Gideon struggled with faith he's like he can't see god i don't know he takes a sheepskin and he lays it out and he says god you know if if the sheepskin is wet in the morning with the morning dew and the ground around it's dry then i'll know that you're with me god hears his prayer and he does it next morning Gideon gets up he lays the sheepskin out there again and says god One more time, you know, this time if the sheepskin is dry and and the ground around is wet, then I'll know that you're with me. God did that too. Gideon struggled with doubt. So God wants to teach him that he is with him, even though he can't see him. So Gideon raises an army. He's got an army of 32,000 against the Midianites, which Scripture says was like locusts. You know, it's like you know, you kick over an anthill, ants everywhere. That was the the Midianites in Israel. Thirty-two thousand is not a big number, not to fight against the Midianites. But God tells Gideon, Gideon, I'm with you, and you got too many men. Tell those that are afraid to go home. Twenty-two thousand leave. That leaves him ten thousand. Gideon's probably sweating bullets. God tells them, Gideon, too many. Take them down to the river, and those that drink water, they at least put their face down to the water and, and lap it up with their tongue, you send them home. And those that drink the water with their hands, you keep those guys. At, at the end of the day, Gideon had 300. 300 against this massive army of the Midianites. And he conquers them. He defeats this huge army. How did he do that? God was with him. Of course, God was with him from the very beginning. He couldn't see him, but he was there. And God is really with us. Jesus Christ, our King, is really with us. We may not be able to see him there just like Gideon couldn't. But I promise you this, for those that have faith in Jesus Christ, he will never leave you. He is always there. I don't promise you victory in everything you do. Sometimes things will be good and sometimes we'll be in the middle of difficulties. But our Lord, our King, is always with us. We can't see him with physical eyes. But he is there. We worship and witness Because he remains with us. We worship him. Because we are so grateful. For his presence in our lives. We witness. That others may know this peace. That surpasses all understanding. Of having a God. That lives with us. Our king reigns over us. He commissions us. And he remains with us. We should be living lives. Of worship. And witness as we focus on upon our king as we look to our king and see what he has done in each one of our lives. For those of you that are here today who have never declared Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the king is speaking to you today. He is the king of kings. And one day, every knee will bow before him. Some as loving servants and followers, disciples of, of Christ. Others as convicted and guilty convicts awaiting execution. He calls you to have faith in him, to trust him, that he might be your king, And for those who call yourselves Christians, does your worship ever feel dry or empty? Regarding witness, do you ever feel terrified to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those around you? Do you struggle with worship and witness, or perhaps both? You are not a failure. Our Lord does not reject you any more than he rejected Peter or any one of the disciples. The problem is a struggle with faith. The problem is doubting. Our king lovingly lifts our head and points us to him that we might see him as our risen king. He gives us the great commission to encourage us that our king, lovingly reigns over us. That our king gives us a commission to make disciples of all nations, near and far. Because he values us. And that he reigns and lives and remains with us. No matter what our circumstances are, he is always with us. Let us look to Jesus and overcome doubt. And as a result, may we worship him and may we witness to him with walking on water faith. A faith in our risen king, King Jesus. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your word and for speaking to us. We pray that we would take these words to our heart that we would hear you, that we would respond, and that we would live as those who walk with our King. In Jesus' name, amen.